Thank you, Phyllis, for reading. Uh, it's uh, good to be reminded of the power and the voice of the Lord. I was struck by the imagery of that as she was reading. Just the voice of the Lord makes the ground shake. The voice of the Lord makes strips bark off trees. The voice of the Lord goes off like a bomb among us. And and it's easy for us to lose track of that sometimes. Sometimes we lose the imagery and we, and we, we think of the, the voice of the Lord as something peaceful and contained and quiet. And that's true sometimes, but there's also times when the voice of the Lord goes off powerfully among us. Thank you for giving me the thing that I forgot. And uh, I would like to say hello to my parents who did not make it today because they are maritimers and afraid of the cold. And, uh, and they expected that I would make fun of them, therefore I am. So thank you for being here. And all who are here via Facebook Live, thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope you are enjoying your blankets. Um, we're back to talking about the life of David. And, uh, and I'm very excited to do this. And you might be thinking, like, shouldn't we start off with a New Year thing? And I kind of thought that too. But I don't think that there's anything more important for us to do than learn to how to structure our lives as a people after God, and that's what we do, I believe, as we follow the life of David. And we're going to be spending the next three weeks in one very specific place, um, which is really kind of the crux of what I think the life of David is about, um, and it's at the beginning of the second act of David's life. We've gone over this before, but we're going to revisit it again, that this, at 1 Samuel 22, as David leaves uh, that the kingdom of Saul to become an outlaw in the wilderness, and he's going to spend about the next decade in this space. And, uh, and we're not going to spend the next decade in this space, just David, but we're going to skip. It's going to take less time, but just lest you were worried. But we see this at the beginning of uh, 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and his household heard about it, they went down there, and all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered round him, and he became their commander, and about 400 men were with him. And the reason why this is so important to, to me, and I believe to us as the people of God, is that we see over the structure of this story that these people who were in distress or in debt or in discontented became these mighty individuals who in time grew to, rather than drawing from the kingdom, rather than taking and destroying, became people, mighty people, who built and protect, protected the world around them. They, the, what we see here in this story is transformation. We see transformation from selfishness to altruism, transformation from people who were misfits and cast out to mighty people working on behalf of everyone. And we tra see transformation of individuals to family and community, people who were living selfishly to now they are living for others. And that's what we want to be about, ultimately. Not that we're primarily about, about uh, the community and transformation, but we believe that that's a side effect of giving our lives fully over to Jesus. That as we give our lives fully over to Jesus, excuse me, over to Jesus and become what we were created to be, then we see ourselves transform from selfishness to altruism, from, from, from being on the outside to being on the inside, from being a person who is individually motivated to being motivated by the concerns and the needs of the family and the community. That's what happens as we follow Jesus, and that's what we want to focus on. How can we do that for ourselves and for others? And we believe that the three things that they found in the cave, and we talked about this before, was that they found a leader to follow in David. They found someone who is completely dedicated to the Lord. 
They found a family to belong to. We've heard that, the, that, that David's brothers and their families left the kingdom of Saul to be with their brothers in the wilderness. People who are willing to sacrifice of themselves to stand with their family members. That's a family to belong to. And they also found deeds to do, important things that, that, that pushed them out of their comfort zone into an area where they had to care for the needs of others. That, that was how they uh, found transformation. So we're going to focus on those. And... and we're, specifically today, we're going to be focusing on leaders to follow. We're going to be talking about leadership. And, and, and leadership, we're going to, and we see this quite clearly, that David became their, their commander or their captain or their leader. So we see that David does get into a, a, a leadership position, uh, both uh, of a positional authority and of influential authority, Okay. So there's a difference between those two things. There's positional authority. I have a job where I am the pastor of this church. That is positional authority, okay? So that means everybody has said, you guys all agreed at one point in time that like, okay, you're gonna have, you have to be in charge of things. That's positional authority. I also hope to have some sort of influential authority, and I think that I do, that, that when I talk, people listen. Not all the time, you know, and that's good. I haven't convinced you all to go to whooshes yet, but, you know, as... But hopefully we have an influence on each other. And you don't need positional authority in order to have influential authority. They're two different things. But we see that David here had both influential and positional authority be, uh, over them. And we see also scripturally that leadership is a thing that matters and is good. It's an okay thing to have. Now the easy question to ask um, as we look at this and look at the life of David is how do we become leaders worth following. If David was a leader with following, we ought to be that too. That's the easy question to ask. But that's, that's to me, the question of how do we become leaders worth following is, partial, uh, is a partial question and it's a secondary question to how do we better point people to the ultimate leader to follow who is Jesus. And I want to undergird everything that we say. And I want to apologize because I have a lot of content that I didn't necessarily do well with the order. So if, I, if it feels like I'm skipping over a lot of places... I probably am. So that's not just you. Sorry. Um, but, the, but the most important thing that I want to undergird this with is that our leadership as Christians is only pointing to the leadership of Jesus. We see this exemplified with Paul, one of the, the most influential leaders in the early church, the most influential leader uh, other than Jesus and the churches we have it today. And he says to his people in Corinth, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So his strength as a leader and my strength as a leader and anyone who is in a position of Christian leadership, our strength as leaders is only as strong as our connection to Jesus. We're only as leading as we are following. So if I am following Jesus, then, uh, then, then sure, follow me. But ultimately, everything is about pointing people towards Jesus. And if you're not following me and following Jesus, you're going to be fine. Right? That is the ultimate thing we do. It's not about pointing people to me. It's not about pointing people to a Disciples Church logo or getting them into a building. It's about pointing them towards Jesus and saying, live life that way. Give your life to him. So we are only as strong as our connection to Christ. So I want that to, to be the blanket over which we put, or the blanket over which we put everything that we talk about today, or the, or the foundation upon which we build everything today. But this is all about Jesus. This isn't about pointing people to David. It's not about pointing people to us. It's about pointing people to Jesus. But in the midst of that, we are going to talk about leadership. 
And, and it's important for us to, it's important and difficult for us to talk about leadership as Christians for a couple of reasons. One, the field of Christian leadership has been filled with utter nonsense for about the last 25 to 30 years. And I say that as someone who took a two-year postgraduate course in Christian leadership. Like, I, I, this field has been filled with nonsense. And, 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 I, and you can look through the book, like if you go to Amazon and look under the Christian leadership section, you will see some of the most ridiculous books that you have ever seen in your life. Like I've saw, I've seen Jesus, the ultimate samurai, which is, fu- I don't know much about samurai, maybe he was, but like, really? Um, I've seen books about like, about how Jesus can improve your salesmanship, you know, which I'm sure he can, but that's, you know, and, 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 and you can have a lot, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens. I could go to a conference every weekend about being a better Christian leader. Like, there's a, there's a massive field about this, and there's tons of, of, of speakers who want to who wanna charge you $2,500 a pop to come in and tell you how to be a better Christian leader while they don't actually attend a church themselves. This is aligned with silliness, and it's a way over the last couple of decades um, where, where talking about leadership became a way of not actually talking about things that mattered. If we were talking about leadership, then we didn't have to talk about our allegiance to Jesus. If we were talking about leadership, then we didn't have to talk about caring for the least of these brothers of mine and sisters of mine. If we were talking about leadership, we didn't have to talk about what was actually happening. So, it, but, but at the same time, we do need to talk about leadership because the Bible says that it matters. I don't agree with another move that has happened over the last... This is more recent. This is probably over the last 10 years of Christian leadership, although there's an undercurrent that goes back 2000s that says that because leadership has on occasion or often been exploitative or been oppressive or been authoritarian, that what we ought to do then is to get rid of leadership altogether. And we make all of our structures as flat as possible, and, and the only connection is for the individual, like everyone is their own leader and there is no community connection. And the reality, and that's a beautiful idea, and if it could work, and I believe that the kingdom of God probably works like that eventually, but in the meantime, every group of human beings has leaders. You know this. You've been in a situation where you've been in a situation in your work where you're dealt with like, okay, this is this is my experience. Um, I, I I was believing this for a certain period of time that that everyone was their own leader and there was no such thing as leadership and and we only got rid of all positional leadership, then everything would be good. And then I was working at an Earl's one time. And uh, in the middle of the day, and the restaurant was very full, it was lunchtime, and the power went out. And in the midst of that, I saw everyone turn to me. And for some reason, possibly because I was old, and I I was a little bit older, uh, I was like 25 as opposed to 21, and I had a big head and a deep voice, all of the people in that room looked at me and said, you must be the person who knows what's going on. And uh, somebody had to deal with the problem. So if you've ever been in a situation where you're in an emergency, you understand that leadership exists. It's a real thing. There's never been a group of humans who, without leadership. And, and so if there is going to be leadership, we need to do two things. We need to learn how to lead, okay, if we're going to be put into that position. But we also need to learn how to follow well. 
because we want to be people who help the entire group get along better. And we want to ask ourselves questions of what are the, ex what are the expectations we would have of those who would put themselves into positions of leadership. And, and, and so I think hopefully what we're going to get to on the other end of this, hopefully it won't take too long, is we're going to discuss a little bit of Christian standards for leadership. Not necessarily the kind of leaders that we're going to be, but what we're going to expect of those uh, of ourselves when we get into leadership positions, but also of those who would proclaim to be leaders of us. Are, is their leadership justified and uh, worthwhile? And before we get to leadership, there's a thing that we need to focus on first because the Bible focuses on it first. Uh, we need to focus on followers. Because we see really early on the kind of people that followed David, that all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around them and they became their commander. So David's community, this, this, this army that God is building around him, is not the all-star team. It's not made up of people who have everything going for them. And while, while it appears biblically that, that many of them had some sort of, uh, of military training, these were people that Eugene Peterson says that, that they were those who could not make it in regular society. They were not an ideal group. They were, they were the misfits and the, the, the dregs of society is, is what Eugene Peterson called them. And yet we shouldn't be surprised at this because this is the kind of people that God has worked with since the very beginning. There are some, some scholars who believe that the word Hebrew, as we see it in the Old Testament, um, didn't really refer, refer to a specific people group prior to the coming of Abraham, but that it referred to all of those people who were not Egyptian nor Assyrian. That were, it was this band of misfits that kind of lived in the middle. And it's out of those people that God chose to make his people. He says constantly throughout the Bible, you who were not a people, I made a people. So God didn't choose the most powerful kingdom on earth to make his own. He went and made a kingdom out of the, the, the people on the outskirts. We see this again in the ministry of, of the New Testament. And Paul says this again. Uh, Paul, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. So God's church has always been built on the backs. Now, so, now obviously, when you're saying not many, some were. That's fine. We're not going to kick out everyone who has an education. But... But this means that God built his church around people who were not the best and the brightest, who were, who were not the, 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 the shining lights of society, those who had not already been given every advantage. He takes people who are on the outside of that to form the kinds of communities and form the kinds of families and form the kinds of kingdoms and form the kinds of churches that, that, uh, that, that make the world that he's call the, that he's making. My mom just texted to ask uh, Teddy to turn how to turn the live stream on, which she's a little bit late. She can watch it later. Um, I'm not texting you back, mom. Don't. You people are great, but I still have people who text me who know that I'm a pastor, like other church people who will text me at noon and expect me to respond. And I'm like, I'm kind of busy right now. Um, um. <laughs> so, what we've. <laughs> oh, man. Slick churches don't have their phones go off in the middle of the service. Okay, here we go. Um, 
so we want to focus. So this is this is the thing that we learn. The, the the kingdom of God is not fo- is focused on those who are in distress or in debt or in, in, in discontent and discontented. It's not focused on those who are or were influential or of noble birth. So the first standard of Christian leadership that we have is exemplified in Jesus and exemplified with by God throughout the Bible is a concern for the least of these. And if our leadership does not take into account those who are on the outsides, those who are on the outskirts, those who are on the bottom of our society, then it is not Christian leadership at all. It doesn't perform or act in the way that God has called us to act in the past. If it does not include those who would seem far from God and irreligious and and evil right now, if we don't have a plan for those people and room for those people, then we are not leading in the way that God has called us to lead. And I want to put skin on this game for us. I want to, and this is going to hurt a little bit, but we have become, especially in North America, a church, especially as evangelicals, a church that has, rather than folk being focused on the least of these, become focused on the elite and, and those who have been given every advantage. And the way that we did that wasn't intentional. It was geographic. We moved our churches from the inner cities to the suburbs. And as soon as we moved our churches from the inner cities to the suburbs, we, came, we became disassociated from people who were economically disadvantaged, who were educationally disadvantaged, and we became associated with only those people who made enough money to live and to work in the suburbs. We did that for, for, for a very long time in this past century. We're only starting to turn it around in the last five to ten years or so. But, but this is a major problem that we've got, that if our leadership does not include the poor, if our, if our leadership does not include the fatherless and the widow, if it doesn't include the newcomer and the refugee, if it doesn't include the sinner and the pagan and those who are far from Jesus, then it is not looking anything like the leadership of Jesus. So we need to be very clear and, and concise and, and adamant that those people are going to be included in our community and how we do these things. And we need to be aware as well of the places in us where despite our privileges, we are also the least of these. Because I have been distressed and, 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 and in debt and discontented. And I have been weak and far from God. And I have been doubting as well. And if I can't give grace to someone who is in a position now that I used to be in, then I am not in any way connected to the God that has called me. Okay. Second thing that we're going to see as we talk about Christian standards for leadership is evidence of prayerfulness. And this is incredibly important, and I want to get better at this as well. But this is demonstrated by David, and it's consistently demonstrated in the life of Jesus, that immediately after this community is gathered around David, immediately after they're with him, we see in this story that David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kyla and looting the threshing floors. And immediately when hearing news, okay, here is an event that's happening, what does David do? He inquires of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? His first instinct when confronted with new information, with new experiences, with new lights, is to point himself to the Lord and say, I, and inquire to him for leadership. David consults the Lord as part of his decision-making process. And not only does he consult him as part of his decision-making process, consistently and throughout the Psalms, he's demonstrated that he's singing and praying to the Lord as the source of his strength. 
He's asking and praising and calling and relying on God, not just for guidance, not just for like, tell me what to do, but also saying, I need you to undergird the things that I already know how to do. I already know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I already know that I'm supposed to, 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 to go out of my way to include people that are, that are outside and very different from me. And I don't have the strength to do that on my own, Lord, so I need you to build that up within me. Jesus does this as well. We see this evidence so many times, and this is just one example that Jesus experiences a great miracle and a great moving of the Holy Spirit and, 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 uh, and healing of people. And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Jesus demonstrated to his disciples, I can't lead you well unless I go pray now. I need to be connected to God if I'm going to be connected and do what I can do with you. And this is why we sing, and this is why we pray, and this is why I sing, and this is why I pray. And it's important for me as a Christian leader to show you and my family that I need to worship. I've been in churches, and I'm not saying this to, to pat myself on the back, but I've been in churches where the preaching pastor did not involve themselves in the music portion of the service. They would, they would show up at some point in time, or they wouldn't sing, or that, like, and that was, that was back in the 80s. I don't think everybody does that anymore because the, the music person is now the cooler person than the preaching pastor. Um, but I need to sing. I need to sing if I'm going to make it through the week. I need the, 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 the words and the rhythms that JB and Aaron put into my head if I'm going to survive the week. And if I don't have them, I don't go as well. So, and I do that for myself and also to demonstrate to all of us that we need to do this. One of the things that we measure, and I don't get to see this as often as I, as I turn around, but, but when people start coming to this church and are far from Jesus, the way that we can measure a heart turn is when you start to sing. Because that's what our family does. We sing together. And that's how we demonstrate to each other that we desperately, desperately need the Lord and His guidance. So we look for evidence of prayerfulness. We also look for living openly. And again, this is continually demonstrated by David and demonstrated in the life of Jesus. David writes in the Psalms and sings with his people, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? If David existed in 2016, someone would medicate him. But this is the reality that he lived in, that he, he brought himself to the Lord and said, I don't understand how to operate in this world, God. I don't feel where you are. And David does that all in front of his people, demonstrating, uh, the, demonstrating his weakness to them and his doubt, even as he is giving himself over to the Lord. So we understand from this and from the example of Jesus that the role of transformative leadership is not to be a superhero. It might be fun to have a superhero leader. It's fun to follow these amazing human beings uh, uh, online. It's, it, it might be fun to see people who, who, who constantly make all of the right food decisions and have everything going perfectly well, but it's not transformative. And the example that Jesus has shown us, the example that David has shown us, and the example that life has shown us is that we need people around us who show us their work. 
who demonstrate to us that in the midst of my flaws and in the midst of my weaknesses, I am working through them, and the Lord is acting faithfully in me to bring me to, to righteousness and to holiness. That, that, that I don't always have it together. And we need to see that, that, and we as people who don't have it together need to see that other people don't have it together too, and that we can live and operate with what God has called us to. You, you might say that, but Jesus was the ultimate superhero, as he was the ultimate samurai. Um, how did Jesus demonstrate his openness to his followers? Well, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane that he takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He showed them his work. He said, I don't know if I can do this. I'm afraid and I'm sad and I, and I need the presence of God and I'm not feeling it right now. And, and, and I need you guys to be with me to, do, to help me do what I've called to do. Jesus is not hiding here. And the reason why Jesus is not hiding is because he's not an actor. We've talked about hypocrite, how it just literally means actor, but Jesus is not playing a role and he's not treating those around him as an audience. He's not trying to impress them with his ability to say the right lines. You are not an audience. We are active participants in the life that we are leading together. That is what transformative leadership looks like and it must be done with openness. And we see... Oh, I'm missing a slide. Sorry about that. Um, and again, so the, the, the last slide was going to be, again, undergirding this all with that connection to Jesus. The, the, the fourth thing that was supposed to be, sorry. There's going to be a fourth thing that was like living openly, and then number four was going to say uh, connected to Jesus, because that's ultimately where all of our strength and all of our power and all of our knowledge of what the world calls us to comes from. That we give ourselves completely over to Jesus and, dem and, and follow in his ways. The, uh, the, this, the, I, I got this from Rob Bell, but there was an old saying amongst the, the Hebrew followers as, as they began to follow a, a, a rabbi, which is what Jesus was. When Jesus called his disciples, they called him rabbi. And the way that you would follow a rabbi was that you would literally, literally follow him. You would walk where he went. You would eat where he went. You would do the things that he did. He would demonstrate to you. Uh, you would work with him side by side. He would teach you. But there was this way that you would follow in his steps so that you would eventually be able to do what he did. That was the, 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 the pattern of learning. And, and one of, the, one of the, the, the blessings that they would say for those disciples who were following a rabbi Someone would say on them, would they, they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the wording of may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi was as you walked along the trails, you wanted to be so closely behind him that, that as the dust kicked up off his feet as he walked in the sand, that it would go on you. That you were, that you were so closely connected that, that, that his life would be yours. That, that, that what he was, what was creating was, was falling all over you. And we have the same calling on us as, Jesus, as followers of Jesus. And that our ability to be leaders, which we all need to be in our families and in our, in our workplaces and in our schools and all the places where God has called us to, our ability to be leaders and to lead people towards Jesus only only is as deep as our ability to be, to be covered in the dust of our rabbi. 
And may we do that as well. May we have good standards for Christian leadership. May we, may we ignore those who don't have in their space concern for the least of these. May we ignore those who don't have evidence of prayerlessness. May we ignore those who don't live openly, but help us to point ourselves towards Jesus in this way, that we see these things and we recognize true leadership and good leadership when we see it and when we hear it. Let's pray. God. We want to be people who point this community to you. We want to be people who lead our communities well, who lead in transforming people that as they come to know you, move from selfishness to altruism. As they come to know you, move from being misfits on the margins to being, to being integral members of the world that you're creating. We want to see people move from being individually focused and all about me and I to being focused on the community and, and, and the family and the, and the city and the world and what, what we're doing together. And that only happens as we are covered in your dust, as we follow you well. And our ability to point people towards you only comes as we are able to follow you well ourselves. So help us to lead people to you, help us to follow you, and ultimately help us to be transformed into your image as well. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.